Every parent believes that when they send their children out to play, they'll come home safely. On the afternoon of January 13, 1996, nine-year-old Amber Hagerman and her younger brother Ricky set up on a bike ride near their grandparents' home. But only Ricky would return. Amber's lifeless body was found four days later in a nearby creek. Her kidnapping and murder remains unsolved to this day, but it led to changes in how law enforcement treats missing children cases and has ultimately saved the lives of thousands of other children. This is the murder of Amber Hagerman and the creation of the Amber Alert. I'm Ashton, and welcome to The Haunted Corner. Welcome back to The Haunted Corner. It's Monday, and I have another true crime tale to tell you about. This is the murder of Amber Hagerman. Amber was kidnapped and murdered in 1996, and her murder led to the creation of what we now know as the Amber Alert, which is such an important tool that's now used worldwide to send public signals about missing children who are in danger. Let's get into it. Amber Hagerman was born on November 25, 1986, to parents Donna Norris and Richard Hagerman. She lived in Arlington, Texas, with her mother Donna and her younger brother Ricky. Amber was smart, she got good grades, and always helped her mom around the house. There is some video footage of Amber in the weeks prior to her death. Her mother was being filmed for a documentary on welfare reform, which would never be released. But there's footage of Amber at her birthday party, dancing, riding her bike, and just carefree, having fun with her friends. The footage is chilling to see after finding out what happened next. On January 13th, 1996, Donna and the kids went over to their grandparents' house, and the kids decided to go out for a bike ride. This is something that they had done before, and they never strayed far from the house, they were told not to go farther than a block away, but Amber ignored her mother's request and she ended up going over to an abandoned Winn-Dixie parking lot and riding around there, which is something that I totally would have done. We rode our bikes everywhere in the late 90s, early 2000s, but today with my own kids, absolutely not. <laughs> the things I did back then and the things I would allow my children to do now are totally different. But Amber and Ricky left the house at 3.10 p.m. They were riding around and enjoying themselves, but Ricky wanted to head back to the house pretty quickly. Amber wanted to keep riding, and she had just gotten her new pink bike for Christmas a few weeks earlier. She was having fun, and she didn't want to leave yet. So Ricky went back without her. When he arrived, his mother asked him where Amber was, and, you know, he told her that she had stayed back to ride. 
But by the time Donna's father went out to look for her, Amber was already gone, and he found her pink bike laying on the ground. This was at 3.18 p.m. So with eight, within eight minutes of the time that they left the house, Amber was missing. Around that time, a 911 call came in to the Arlington Police Department from a man named Jimmy Kebble. Jimmy's house backed up to the Winn-Dixie, and he was outside when he saw Amber riding her bike around the parking lot. What he also saw was a black pickup truck pulling into the parking lot where a man got out and grabbed Amber off her bike before putting her into the truck and leaving. Amber was seen kicking and screaming as the man put her into the truck. Jimmy can be heard in the 911 call saying, quote, Yeah, I saw a black pickup and he grabbed the little girl and he took off that way and she hollered, end quote. He described the attacker as a white or Hispanic man, around six feet tall, medium build, and between the ages of 25 and 40. When they realized that Amber was missing, her family immediately jumped into action. Donna and her parents began searching for Amber before calling 911 as well. Police quickly arrived on scene and began searching for Amber. News quickly spread of Amber's abduction and the search intensified. Family members, friends, neighbors, and more than 50 police officers searched for Amber. They passed out flyers and they only stopped to rest. They released a description of the suspect and the vehicle. The suspect was listed as a white or Hispanic male, 20s to 30s as of 1996, under six foot tall, medium build, brown or black hair, and the vehicle was a black 1980s or 1990s full-size fleet-side pickup truck with a short wheelbase, single cab, and the rear window was clear, so no sliding window, no chrome, no stripping, and the truck was in good condition with no visible damage. The case was soon on the front page of newspapers. Police and FBI worked tirelessly investigating the case. Police believe the abductor's behavior had likely escalated because of a recent traumatic or upsetting event, such as a divorce or a layoff. They put pictures of Amber everywhere in the hopes of getting other witnesses who had seen the abduction or Amber in the time since. Donna was on television pleading with the stranger who abducted Amber to let her free and to not hurt her. There was a ton of media coverage on the case. But four days later, near midnight on January 17, 1996, a man walking his dog near the Forest Hill Apartments discovered the body of a young nude female floating face down in a creek. The man immediately notified the police department and the body was taken to the Tarrant County Medical Examiner's Office in Fort Worth, Texas for an autopsy. The body was later identified as that of Amber Hagerman after matching a thumbprint from a school safety card. According to the medical examiner, he believed that Amber was kept alive for two days before being murdered. So the investigation began. Unfortunately, a recent thunderstorm washed away much of the evidence nearby and on Amber's body. There weren't any fingerprints that they were able to take because of this. A task force was created to investigate Amber's murder and kidnapping, but there was so little to go on. There was no physical evidence such as DNA or a weapon. 
The case generated more than 7,000 leads, but to this day, the police still have no suspects in Amber's murder. Shortly after Amber's death, her mother Donna was calling for tougher laws governing kidnappers and sex offenders. She and Amber's father Richard collected signatures in hopes of forcing the Texas legislature to pass more stringent laws to protect children. And it worked. Congressman Martin Frost proposed the Amber Hagerman Child Protection Act. It required a life sentence in prison without parole for two-time sex offenders whose victims are children. And it also included a section which created a national sex offender registry. At the time of Amber's abduction, a woman and mother named Diane Simone had heard about her abduction on the news. She contacted the KDMX radio station and proposed broadcasts to engage listeners in helping locate missing children. The Dallas Amber Plan was created in 1997, and here the radio and television broadcasters were required to inform instantly about children's abductions. In 1998, the Child Alert Foundation created the first fully automated alert notification system to notify surrounding communities when a child was reported missing or abducted. Alerts were sent to radio stations as originally requested, but included television stations, surrounding law enforcement agencies, newspaper, and local support organizations. These alerts were sent to were sent all at once via pagers, faxes, emails, and cell phones with the information immediately posted on the internet for the general public to view as well. This is the now famous Amber Alert System. It stands for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, of the children abducted and murdered by strangers, 75% are killed within the first three hours in the USA. Amber Alerts are designed to inform the general public quickly when a child has been kidnapped and is in danger so the public would be additional eyes and ears of law enforcement. At an October 2002 conference on missing, exploited, and runaway children, President George W. Bush announced changes to the Amber Alert system, including the development of a national standard for issuing Amber Alerts. The PROTECT Act, passed in 2003, which established the role of Amber Alert Coordinator within the Department of Justice, calls for the Department of Justice to issue minimum standards or guidelines for Amber Alerts that states can adopt voluntarily. The department's guidance on criteria for issuing Amber Alerts is as follows. One, there is a reasonable belief by law enforcement that an, ab that an abduction has occurred. Two, the law enforcement agency believes that the child is in intimate danger of serious bodily injury or death. Three, there's enough descriptive information about the victim and the abduction for law enforcement to issue an Amber Alert to assist in the recovery of the child. Four, the abduction is of a child aged 17 years or younger. And finally, the child's name and other critical data elements, including the child abduction flag, have been entered into the National Crime Informational Center, NCIC, system. By 2005, all 50 states had operational programs, and today the Amber Alert program operates across state and jurisdictional boundaries. As of January 1st, 2013, Amber Alerts are automatically sent through the Wireless Emergency Alerts program. So when you hear that buzz on your phone and it won't stop, 
that is the Amber Alert. Wants everybody to know right away what's going on, which is very important. The Amber Alert program quickly spread internationally, and many countries have similar programs as well. The Amber Alert has done a lot of good, but like many things, it has been scrutinized over time as well. Advocates for missing children have expressed concerns that the public is gradually becoming desensitized to Amber Alerts because of a large number of false or overly broad alarms, where police issued an Amber Alert without strictly adhering to the U.S. Department of Justice activation guidelines. A Scripps-Howard study of the 233 Amber Alerts that were issued in the U.S. in 2004 found that most issued alerts did not meet the Department of Justice's criteria. So now in its 26th year of operation, the Amber Alert program, as of May 1st, 2022, has contributed to the recovery of 1,114 children, and the wireless emergency alerts resulted in the rescue of 123 children. So it's definitely working. Over 1,000 children just in the U.S. have been safely recovered. I think it's amazing. In January of 2016, Amber's mother and brother, along with several of the detectives who initially investigated her murder, held a press conference to request tips and leads from the public that could help to identify Amber's attacker. Texas Governor Greg Abbott declared January 13th as Amber Alert Awareness Day in honor of the Hagerman family and their efforts to change the way that law enforcement and the public are notified about missing children. A new dedicated tip line has been established for information on the Amber Hagerman case. Oak Farms Dairy continues to offer a $10,000 reward for new information leading to an arrest and indictment. In a 2021 press conference, a member of the original task force, Sergeant Ben Lopez, said, quote, All this time, we've only had one witness. That's why we're pleading if there's anyone out there that has information, even if they think it's just a small bit of information. It may be the lead we need to break this, end quote. And I'm going to leave you with a quote from Amber's mother, Donna, who's still looking for her daughter's murderer. Quote, Amber desperately needs justice. I'm not going to give up on her. Never, end quote. And I really hope that one day she's finally able to get justice for her daughter, Amber. If anyone has any information, please call Arlington, Texas Police at 817-575-8823. For those who wish to remain anonymous, call Crime Stoppers of Tarrant County at 817-469-8477. And that is the murder of Amber Hagerman and the creation of the Amber Alert. Thank you for tuning in today. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. The sources for today's episode will be listed in the show notes and also on the blog post for the episode at www.thehauntedcorner.com. Check out the other episodes of The Haunted Corner available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts with new episodes dropping every Monday and Thursday. For exclusive content and access to our Patreon-only Facebook group, please join us over on Patreon. If you enjoyed Cruise Ship Disappearances Part 1, Part 2 is available now only on Patreon at the $1 per month level on up. If you join at the $5 per month level, you'll have access to an upcoming episode one week early, and you'll get an exclusive The Haunted Corner sticker after donating for three months, plus a lot more.
So if you're interested in supporting the show, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash The Haunted Corner. Follow us on social media at The Haunted Corner on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. If you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to tell a friend. If you have a case suggestion or a correction to share, send it to thehauntedcorner at gmail.com or submit it through the website. Until next time, be kind and take care of yourselves, and we'll see you soon. Bye.